Um, this morning, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Aren't the holidays great? Really enjoying the holidays. One of the spin-offs about the holidays too is we sort of come away from our regular uh, preaching. So we're not doing a series. We seem to end up with um, visiting other aspects or other parts of God's word. It's sort of like a smorgasbord or a buffet type situation if you like. And um, when I use that analogy, I'm talking about the variety, not so much the take and leave what you don't want or aspect of it. Uh, So this morning's passage, this morning's reading, it's part of a letter that Peter wrote to the believers who were scattered throughout Asia Minor. Now we know from our studies in Revelation that Asia Minor is also the audience that uh, John wrote to. Uh, and uh, if we were to look at modern geography, Asia Minor is, is Turkey today. Uh, some of the differences though between this letter and, and John's letter is this letter was written some 30 years earlier, so it was probably to a, to a different generation. Uh, it was also addressed to different places within Asia Minor as well, uh, places like Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And um, what Peter, how he addresses these people is that they are Jewish and Gentile believers and they are scattered throughout that entire area. And Peter also refers to the recipients of this letter as foreigners or strangers in the world. So he brings this sort of thought and idea and he reminds them that while they are temporarily residing in the world that they can see and that they are experiencing. Their true home and their citizenship is in heaven. Uh, One of the similarities between this letter and and John's letter is that Peter is writing this letter as a word of encouragement to the believers. And one of the key themes of 1 Peter is the grace of God. And he constantly talks to them about how Jesus is the living hope. In 1 Peter 5 he says this, My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that you are ex- what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. And doesn't that sound like what we have also heard in Revelations where John is encouraging the people to, to stand firm in their faith. This morning we are focusing on just one little aspect of this letter and that's in chapter 2. And in this portion of his letter, Peter doesn't so much talk about Jesus being the living hope, but rather he talks about him as being the living stone. And then he gives us a picture of how the church is built up upon this living stone. And it gives us a picture of what the church looks like. And not just what it looks like, but also how it should function. So my hope today as we farewell 2017 and tomorrow we step into 2018 that you also will be encouraged through this writing of Peter to the early church and not just be encouraged but I hope also that it just sort of reminds us of what, who we are as a church, who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us 
and again just focus in on those sorts of things as we look forward to the coming year. Um, A couple of questions as we read through this passage this morning. A couple of questions just to keep in the back of your mind and this will help um, later as we we talk through these things. And and these are sort of questions that we probably could apply to any passage or to any study that we do. First of all, what do we learn about God? What does this passage tell us about God? Secondly, what does Peter tell us about non-believers? There's a little aspect in there where he talks about those who do not believe in Christ. And what are some of the things that Peter identifies about the church? And these talk to us about our identity in Christ. And with that in mind, how should the church respond to what God has done for us? So let's come to 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're reading from verse 4 to verse 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as we look at this passage this morning, there are three things that we're briefly going to look at. Firstly, we're going to look at what this passage says to us about God. Then we're going to see what it talks about if you don't believe in Christ. And lastly, we're going to look at what it says about us as a church. And when we talk about us as a church, we're not just talking about our little patch here in Nixon Street. We're talking about the church in in its entirety across uh, geography and across time. And with that in mind uh, of who we are in Christ, how do we respond to that? What does this passage say and how we should respond to what Christ has done for us? So what does Peter tell us about God? Well, first of all, one of the things that we notice in this passage is that there is a lot of references to Christ being the rock 
or being a stone. And it's not just throughout this passage that we find that. We find it throughout the entire Bible that God is referred to as a stone. In this case, Christ is identified as being the living stone. So the stone is living. Now usually when we think of a stone, we don't think of a living object. We think of a pretty inanimate, pretty as dead as you can get sort of thing. But here the stone is described as being living. And this reminds us that we are serving a living God. God is alive. God is not dead. He's not just a concept that we have or a state of mind. And it's also not just the case that God created the world and then he either left it to his own devices, to its own devices, or that something happened to God, that he either died or he skipped town or, or something. No, he's a living God. And not only that, he is constantly and continuously sustaining our existence. Now, this reference to a living stone is talking about Christ. And, and again, when we think of this, it's not just the case that we're following a great man that lived and died 2,000 years ago who had some great teachings that we've built a religion upon. No, that's not what our faith is about. We are serving a living Christ. What scripture tells us about Christ is that Christ is God and that he has always been there. He was there before creation and he became a man to bear our sins and he died in our place and then he was resurrected and ascended to heaven. Those are the sort of things that we've already touched upon in our studies in Revelation. So God is living but it's even more than this. Christ is also the life-giving stone. We read in John chapter 5, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in in himself. So the Father granted Christ to have life in himself and those who hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear that voice will live. John chapter 1 verse 4 just further emphasises this. The Word, and this is talking about Christ, the Word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought life to brought light to everyone. And the other thing that we find uh, when we look through scripture as well, Jesus is not just described as being the living hope, he, he is, or the living stone. He's described as being the living hope in 1 Peter, but he's also described as being the living bread and the living water. So the stone is living. So when we come to the stone, we see that the stone is a symbol of God and it's also a symbol of Messiah and we will find this right throughout scripture. When we think of a stone, we think of something strong. 
We think of something that is solid. We think of something that stands the test of time. So any stone that that we can think of, um, I think for myself that that stone was probably here a long time before I was and no doubt a long time after I'm gone that stone will still be there. So we just get this picture of um, of something that is, stands the test of time and when we think of God, God is eternal. Also the stone is something to build on and it is something to anchor to. Um, Let's look at some of those scriptures that are there throughout um, the Bible. First of all, Psalm 18.2 God is my rock, my fortress and my saviour. In 2 Samuel 22, um, this is David speaking and this is one of the last words that David brought to us. He said, The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Sounds like it could be a good song, couldn't it? In fact, I think some of us who are a little bit older probably have sung that song several times. So, God is the rock of my salvation. In fact, I think we sang um, Psalm 62 this morning, which, which was pretty much along those same lines. And talking about songs, Psalm 61, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And again, there's just this whole idea that God is something greater than us. Lead me to that which is greater to us. And that rock which is higher than I, it goes on to say that it is a refuge and a strong tower against the enemy. So Christ is described as being a living stone and we see that that living stone was rejected by men but it was chosen by God and it was precious to God. So here we see God the Father uh, displayed as well in this, in this scripture. So the stone was rejected by man but it was chosen by God and it was precious to God. And this living stone is also precious to us. Christ is precious to us. And some of the reasons that I thought of, I, I was reminded of the, um, the old slogan, One Way Jesus. And the reasons why Christ was precious to us is because he is the only way to God. He is the only way to eternal life. He is the only way for us to be spirit filled. It is only through what Christ has done on the cross that the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. And he is the only way that we can do anything that is acceptable to God. In verses 6 and 7, Christ is described as being the cornerstone or in some scriptures this is called the capstone. And we have there a couple of passages which are prophecies or words from the Old Testament that Peter, he applies them to Christ. The first is Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28 verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, 
I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. And the other passage that is picked up here is Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. So what do we know about a cornerstone? Well a cornerstone is we're probably well aware of is used in ancient architecture. I'm not sure whether they use a cornerstone today. Um, there's obviously different building techniques but definitely there's still the importance of the foundation that is laid for any building that is built today. So the cornerstone was of great importance and it was used in binding together the sides of a building. So the application here is that Jesus is the cornerstone or the foundation on which the church is built. Christ is at the centre of Christianity. No surprises there. If we are not building on Christ or we are not bound together by Christ then we need to question whether we are really part of the church as described in scripture. So everything that we do, everything that um, we plan should be centred in Christ and that's true for us as individuals and it's true for us as a church. Um, as we look towards the next year, anything that we plan, we shouldn't just go through the motions but we should be centering everything in Christ. So we see again just a repeat of what we saw earlier when we spoke about the living stone. This cornerstone was rejected by the builders and it was a stone of stumbling and offence. However, it was chosen and precious to God. One of the other um, characteristics of God that we see in the scripture is that God is merciful. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. And how was he merciful? Well, it says, we did not have mercy, but now we have mercy in him. But it also says, we were not a people, but now we are called to be God's people. God called his people out of darkness into his marvellous light. You were not a people, but you are now a people of God. And who does this mercy extend to? Well, it extends to, to everybody. In Romans 9, uh, chapter 25 to 26, Paul um, quotes Hosea and he takes a prophecy that Hosea had brought years and years before and he applies it to the Gentile believers and he calls and he states that the Gentiles believers are children of the living God. This is from uh, Romans 9 chapters 25. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people I will now call my people and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called the children 
of the living God. So when Hosea originally brought this prophecy, of course he was talking to Israel. So we see that Hosea spoke to Israel. Paul in Romans was talking to the Gentile believers and here in Peter's letter he was talking to both the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. So where does all of this leave non-believers? Well we come to verses 7 and 8 and and again we come back to Psalm 118 that we read earlier. The builders have rejected the cornerstone and also we see in verse 4 that the living stone was rejected by men. In the original text of Psalm 118 who was who was the writer referring to? Well some of the um, commentators believe that what this was talking about in Psalm 118 that the cornerstone was referring to Israel and this cornerstone was rejected by the world at large. So the builders in that case was a reference to the world. Um, as we know Israel was God's chosen people who were chosen to be a blessing to the nations around them. So when these nations looked at Israel, they should have been able to see the living God. Most commentators, however, when they look at Psalm 118, they say that it is a reference to David and David was rejected by the authority of Israel. So he was anointed uh, to be king, but he was rejected by Saul at the time. And then later on we see that David became king and he became the cornerstone and he united the tribes of Israel. So there's two schools of thought of what Psalm 118 is talking about. But probably what's most important here is how it is referred to Christ. And Christ does this himself in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And of course Peter is doing that also here in his own letter. Uh, Luke 20 verse 17 Jesus looked at them and said Then what does the scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realised he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers but they were afraid of people's reaction. So we see here two different things. That the cornerstone was rejected by men, the world at large, but it was also rejected by the builders. So in this case it was possibly referring to the Pharisees or the teachers of, um, of the time. The Cambridge Bible says this about Psalm 118. Christ is the true representative of Israel who undertook and fulfilled the mission in which Israel failed. So we see that the cornerstone was rejected by men. Also we see that this stone is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. So not only was Christ rejected by the world 
but this cornerstone has become a stumbling block and a rock of offence. And I probably don't need to say much about that because we all know uh, through popular media, through people we know, quite often you mention Christ or you talk about Christianity or the church and it becomes an, an offensive thing to many, many people within our culture. And why do they stumble? They stumble because they disobey the word. They've rejected God and they have rejected his word. Now looking at that, I have a, bit, a little bit of a challenge here for anyone who does not know Christ or does not believe in Christ. And my challenge is for you to consider God. Not just what our culture's perception is of God or for that matter what our culture's perception is of Christians or Christianity of the church but rather my challenge is for you to go to the source, to go to the word of God. And of course this is quite a big book so what I recommend is that you look at one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John and that's my challenge if you don't believe in God or you don't trust in God read one of those scriptures read one of those passages and just see what it tells you about Christ what it tells you about God you may be quite surprised now we come to the church so what does this passage tell us about the church what does it tell us about us well one of the things it does is it identifies various aspects of the church and it gives us various things that we can identify with and I hope that these things will bring you encouragement. So in verse 5 it says, Like living stones we are being being built up into a spiritual house. So as we said earlier, Christ is referred to as being the living stone or the cornerstone and the result of coming to that living stone is that we, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. So who is doing the building? Well, it is Christ. Christ is doing the building. He is building individual believers into a spiritual house. Why is it a spiritual house? It's because it houses the Holy Spirit. And we can think of the temple in ancient Israel and we can be reminded that this was the dwelling place of God. But now God is building a spiritual house which is also to be the dwelling place of his spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? The NIV study Bible sums this up fairly well. It says that the picture that Peter creates is of a structure made up of believers who are living stones. The design and the orientation of which are all in keeping with Christ, the cornerstone. So we see that Christ is building us up into this structure but we're not just a passive structure it goes on to say that we are to be a holy priesthood. 
So we are also participants. We are to be that holy priesthood. And we are to be active participants in worship as priests. Now that's all of us. When we think of the priesthood in the Old Testament, we think of the tribe of Levi. And we think of how they were set aside to serve God. And then out of that tribe, specific people were chosen to be priests and high priests and they were chosen to serve uh, the nation of Israel, to be their representatives before God, to go into the presence of God and to bring sacrifices to God. But in this picture that we see here today that Peter is uh, sharing with us, we are all part of that holy priesthood. It's not just something that's for the elite. It's not just an office. It's not just for the pastor or the elders or the Sunday school teacher or the cleaner who offers up sacrifices of worship when nobody's here on a Sunday afternoon. Sorry, Ollie. (laughs) And yes, you have been caught before. (laughs) People have turned up on a Sunday afternoon and found her singing which she's very good at, by the way. But anyway, it is something that we are all called to be part of. All of the living stones are part of the holy and royal priesthood as described here in Peter's letter. Now, similar to how the priests in the Old Testament brought sacrifices to God, we are to bring spiritual sacrifices to God. So what does that mean? What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, we'll come to that in a minute. And of course, there is the aspect of the priest being man's representative to God. The priest or the high priest could go through into the very presence of God. In our prayer meeting this morning, one of the ladies prayed about how a privilege it is to come into the presence of God. And we have that privilege because of what Jesus has done for us. We have the privilege that we can come into the very presence of God in our prayers as we come and worship him corporately in all things that we do. We have that privilege. Verses 9 and 10 go on to say, give us various descriptions of what the church looks like and um, we'll just go through these briefly. First of all, we are a chosen race. Just like Israel was God's chosen people in the Old Testament, today's believers are also God's chosen people. Reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us, loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So God chose us before time to be his people, to be that holy race, to be that chosen race. We also see that we are to be a royal priesthood 
So we've already touched on that. And a holy nation. And we've also touched on that as well. Similar to Israel in the day. And also, we are God's people. A possession belonging to God. We belong to God forever. Now that not only gives us security, but it also gives us a sense of identity and belonging. And and it's interesting to compare what God spoke to Israel and what he speaks here through Peter. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord our God, your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. And we read here in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 10 Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We are God's people. And that's awesome. So we have there a picture of what the church looks like and these are hopefully some encouraging things and things for us to focus on as we look to the next year. But to help us even focus even more as we, as we make plans, we see here in the scripture certain things that Peter encourages us to do as Christians, as part of this church, as, as living stones. Um, and there's three things that are identified here. The first, as he, he has challenged us to come to him, to come to the living stone. And as we come to the living stone, this is not just a one-off event that we're talking about, but to come continuously to the living stone. So how does that look on the ground? Well, again, coming back to those basics. Come to the living stone through the word, continuously being in his word. Come to the living stone in prayer, continuously being in prayer. Who has problems praying Who on a regular basis? Probably a lot of us find this a very difficult thing to do. But it's something that we should be doing and naturally be doing. And of course we are to continuously to come to him in our worship as well. The second thing that the scripture tells us that we can do is to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So it's talking about this holy and royal priesthood who come and bring spiritual sacrifices to God. So what does that look like? Well I stole a couple of things off John Piper and I think that's fine because I'm sure he stole them from the Bible. So this is what John Piper says or ultimately what scripture tells us. What do these spiritual sacrifices look like? Well first of all there is our bodies. So Romans 12 verse 1 And so dear brothers and sisters I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And it's not just about not putting our bodies into places and situations that we have no right to do so but it's also talking to us about what we do. 
and how in everyday things that we do, we should be doing everything to the glory of God. So that is part of it. The second thing which comes quite naturally, praise and thanks, worship. Hebrews 13.15 Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God proclaiming our allegiance to his name. A continual sacrifice of praise to God. Continually worshipping him and praising him. And thirdly, acts of love. Hebrews 13 verse 16 And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So there's just probably just three things and there's probably more as well that, that we can do as our spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. And the third thing that we can do as well as we look towards this new year as well is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Now I had a few issues with this word excellencies. On my word document it came up with a little red squiggle under it so I sort of wondered if it was a real word. But if you, you get the idea of what it's saying here and if you look at other versions of the Bible it says uh, to show the goodness of God or to proclaim the praises of him. Christ has done all these things for us. He has built us into a spiritual house, into the church and it is through him that we have done all these things. It's good that we go and share with others those great things that Christ has done for us. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for all the things that you have done for us. Lord, we look back on the year that has been and for some of us it's been quite a difficult year, a year with um, different challenges and different things that have come along the way. Lord, for some of us it has been a great year. Lord, you have done many things. There's been new life, there's been new things and challenges. We've drawn closer to you. For most of us, it's probably a mixture of both those things. But Lord, we just thank you that in the year that has been, you have always been there. Lord, we're reminded over this past year of all of those amongst us, those that we love who have passed on to you. Lord, we just remember them and we thank you for the example that they have set for us. And Lord, we just thank you that you have been there with us as those um, people have moved on to your glory. But Lord, we also just pray as we look ahead. Lord, help us again just to refocus on you as well. Lord, to, to focus on the things that you have done for us. And Lord, because of you, we are those things. We are that spiritual house that you have built up upon that cornerstone upon that rock. Lord, we are the chosen race. We are the holy nation. We are the royal and holy priesthood. Lord, let us be encouraged 
by who you are and how great you are and who we are in you. But Lord, also help us to focus on those things and Lord, to put into practice, to bring to you those spiritual sacrifices that we spoke about today. The Lord, to come to you continuously and Lord, to take forth your excellencies wherever we go to share about how great you are. Lord, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, Amen.